Well, okay, so a little, little uh, preface before we get into our, our passage today. It's, when, when preaching through books of the Bible like we've been doing for the last year, um, we sometimes get to difficult ones, and this is one of those. Um, and so the, I just wanted to preface that before we get into this uh, as we start reading. This is, a, is a, some of the passages that are, that are difficult that I'm like, how do I preach this? Um, and so as we get into this, just know that it's, it is a difficult passage and we, it will take some explaining. So we'll get in there. We're going to be uh, in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 49, going to the end of the chapter here. I came to bring fire on the earth. See what I mean? <laughs> and how I wish it were already set ablaze. But I have a baptism to undergo and how it consumes me until it is finished. Do you think that I came here to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say, a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say, oh, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for, yourself, for yourselves what is right? While you are, as you are going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge will hand you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Oh, Jesus, we need your help. Holy Spirit, Lord, reveal to us this morning the goodness of your spirit, the goodness of Jesus Christ, the hope of glory in your kingdom everlasting here this morning. God, I pray for clarity. I pray for understanding. I pray for a grace, Lord, as over our ears, Lord, to hear and to, and to perceive, Lord, that we'd have hear, ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord, what you are saying to us here this morning. Both corrective, encouraging, inspiring, directive, and presence, God. Help us to ex- experience your presence here with us and know that you're, you're here for us here with us for our good and for our flourishing, God. We, we thank you so much for being with us and pray that you would open your, your words to us here this morning and give us life. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. May you be seated. This was the part of the service that I was going to like make a loud noise and have a big old confetti popper go, <laughs> Surprise! As like an illustration, for, as like, you know, this is a shocking passage of scripture. So I'm going to shock you and wake you up this morning. So, um, but Walmart was sold out. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, you're lucky. They had these like powder ones, but I was like, eh, it might be difficult. That's going to make a mess. So, <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to be here in this passage. Here we go. Well, so last night we watched uh, this movie called Jingle All the Way. Who's seen Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger? All right. You know, how his son did not pick up his accent in that movie, I don't know. But uh, so, Jingle All the Way, if you don't know what that is, it's basically about this toy called Turbo Man. You know, this epic toy, like, uh, what was it, Furby was one of those back in the day, and Gigapets or what? What are some of the other ones, the other, like, you know, vi- you know viral toys that have been, you know, Elmo, the Tickle Me Elmo, right? <laughs> oh, so last night we were also reading uh, 
who, you know, the monster at the end of the, this book, but with Elmo in it. And so, like, when we were wrapping up, I actually did a prayer in, in Elmo's voice. <laughs> in Jesus' name, Elmo prays all these things. Amen. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> we see all these consumers, and, like, every year it seems like there's that one toy that just, like, goes nuts, goes crazy. And this what this movie is all about. This guy's, like, hardcore, like, I gotta buy this toy for my son to buy his love. This is the essence of consumerism is this, I have to buy this thing or else I don't have meaning. I have to buy this thing or else they won't think I love them. It's this buying and selling love at a, at a, at a market price, right? Consumerism. And the whole time we were watching this, we we're like, oh, please don't learn this. Please don't learn this. But then I realized, oh, this is the kind of movie, movie that taught me not to have this mindset of consumerism because they, it's just like this whole hyperbole of, you know, Black Friday deals and Christmas Eve shopping and the, the craze of wrestling over things and, you know, people throwing elbows, you know, getting to the store to get the toy, right? And so, uh, thank, you know, thankfully, <laughs> we, we know these, these, these things. I mean, think about, you know, Christmas, and these discussions about Christmas, and even in the way that we prayed this morning about not getting, getting bought into this mentality of consumerism during the holidays, during Christmas. And, you know, I saw this, this, you know, this, this video uh, back in 2015. It was this, it went viral, it went crazy. This guy, you know, was like, you know, moaning about, you know, uh, bemoaning that Starbucks took Christmas off their cups, you know. And he's like, you know what, they asked me for my name, and I said my name is Merry Christmas. So you had to write it on the cup, and you had to say it in the Starbucks. It's like, okay, you religious Pharisee, come on, lighten up. <laughs> They're not a Christian company. Get over it, you know. <laughs> but it's like this, this, you know, this, this discussions about what is Christmas all about and consumerism, and we have all these discussions around these these different holidays like Christmas. Uh, about Christmas and Halloween and Easter and like the pagan roots of all these different things and you know how they replaced you know pagan holidays and like kind of stole this from the pagans and stole that from the pagans. And I'm like, you guys, we got our own. Sorry, could you say that again? Sorry, Is that prophetic? Are you guys hearing me? Are you guys tracking with me? Siri's having a hard time. Are you guys you guys tracking with me in this? <laughs> Shush! Stop it. <laughs> recalculating recalculating the sermon <laughs> but we have these discussions around these things and these can become pretty heated discussions people can lose friends over their different dispositions in these topics right the the or same can be said around different elements that are more you know universal and holistic in our in our reality like politics Right? Politics and, and religion. How do we express the, the Christian faith? My, my dad's church split when he was living in Hillsborough because they, they had a, a theological debate on this mural that they were painting of Adam and Eve, whether it should have a navel or not, or not. A belly button. They divided the church over this. Like, we can be so petty in the church and in, in, in our society. We can be so divided and so just like split over our opinions that don't even matter. And things that do matter, we, we completely miss the core you know, purposes of these things. And I think there's, a, there's, especially when it comes to our faith and discussions in the church, all these things are driven by this good desire that has been turned and corrupted. This desire to glorify God. We want to be faithful. 
We want to honor him. We want to be biblical. We want to be seen by God as having agreement with him on the things that truly matter. And so there's, there's, an, there's an element of, of good in the, in the background of all these different discussions and divisions, even though they may be corrupted in their expression. A desire to be faithful to God and his word. So the question is, where, do we, where in, in, in this world do we divide? Where do we separate from others? How, do, how, you know, how and where do we draw that line? How do we draw the line, but also where do we and how do we engage? With people as well. Like the old, the old saying by Augustine says, uh, that's at least tri- attributed to Augustine, in first things, in things that are doctrinal, that set us apart from the world and cults, we need to have unity. From secondary issues of things that are not salvific issues that you know, pertain to life and salvation, um, we need to have charity, love for one another. But in all things, no matter if it's first or second things, in all things, with all people, uh, we need to have liberty. Sorry, I had those backwards. <laughs> in, all, in first things, unity. In secondary things, liberty. In all things, charity. So it goes around. My bad. In all things, let all things be done through love. In, all, in, but in secondary issues, you can have your opinion, I can have mine, and we can still love and serve one another. But where do we draw lines, dividing lines in the sand that say we are different? We are other than you. And and be willing to divide these things. As Jesus himself even brings this this mentality here. So this is this this our sermon here this morning is entitled Divide and Conquer. And, and I'm using that in, in a way that's a little bit different than uh, the way it's usually used here this morning. So dividing, being willing to divide on certain things and from things. We need to divide from this world to conquer the enemy of this world. That is the basis. You cannot love this world and the things of this world and still expect to conquer the enemy of this world. As first John, it says in 1 John, do not love the things of this world. Do not love this world or the things of the world. He's basically saying, as Jesus is saying, to divide from the world. And the and world is not saying, like, you know, you know we can't escape this world. We, I mean, you see a car driving by. We can't escape, you know, being in the, in the physical world the cosmos with this. What he's talking about here is more of a, a mentality. A, this is a, a worldly structures that is ruled over by the enemy, that is ruled over by the prince of the power of the air, the power that is at work right now in the sons of disobedience, as it says in, for, in Ephesians chapter 2. We, we can't love this world. We have to be other than that world structure and culture and thinking in order to conquer and defeat the enemy that is controlling that power structure. Because God's ultimate desire and God's ultimate victory at the end of this world will be to conquer the world structures, the brokenness, the distortions, the corruptions that the enemy has brought to this world and to, and to God's creation. As Christians, the world is never truly, um, is never really open to our um, full and authentic beliefs and expressions in, a ch- in the church. Um, as Jesus said, you know, 
Um, as Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, so our kingdom, the kingdom that we belong to, the church, our power structures, our culture, our thinking, our way of living and being is not of this world. His, his way of living is not the worldly power structures and, and things that have been corrupted by sin and evil. Lucifer himself, the angel of light. We trust in God. He is our king. The only way forward in our lives, the only way forward in our faith is complete and utter trust and devotion to Christ in his way. Christ in his kingdom. Christ the king. And that is what all three of these sections, actually this entire, you know, like this entire chapter at least, if not even going further, further back into 11, is all part of this same, this, this same sermon, if you will, the same point that Jesus is making. Um, he's building up to this big climax here. Um, <coughs> he's been, been harking on devotion. Me first. Put me first in your life. I am preeminent. I am more important. Forsake everything else in this world, but stick to me, and you will have life, and you will have it abundantly. And this is what he's saying. This is the point of his fire, hypocrites, and paid the last penny sections in this passage here today. So these are all connected into one thread, one thought, three angles, different perspectives that he's using to come to a climax of this. So let's talk about that first one, fire. He says, I came to bring fire on the earth. This is um, judgment. Whenever the Bible uses the, the, this, uh, this, this concept of fire, refining fire, which means judgment, cleansing, uh, refining, right? He talks about um, the, the, the uh, person who brought in a bunch of weeds and, 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 uh, and uh, planted it with all the wheat, He's saying, well, don't, don't uproot the, the, the weeds because you'll uproot the good as well. And so at the end, we'll harvest everything and throw away the chaff and burn it, but the wheat will store it to the barns. Non-Christians, Christians. What he's talking about. Um, just so we're clear. So he's talking about, I came to bring fire. I came to bring judgment. But I have a baptism to go through first, an immersion, a, a dunking, a submersion into death. He's talking about his crucifixion. He's talking about his suffering and his death and burial. He says, I have a baptism to go through what? First. And how it consumes me until it is finished. So the fire on the earth is not until after his baptism. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is whole, actually, we'll get to it now. This baptism, I'm sorry, this, this judgment, this, this, um, <clears throat> this fire that he's come to bring is the final end of the Israeli system. The, the entire way of life of Israel. He brought to destruction Jerusalem in AD 70. So in your history books, you'll see AD 70, uh, Titus was sent by, the, by the, the Caesar, by the Roman emperor, to destroy Jerusalem and the temple and all of it. And, uh, and they were successful. They came in and for, I think it took them about six months to a year. Um, and they were fighting back and fighting back and, and battling. 
uh, and all this stuff. And, but eventually, the, the Jerusalem itself, the whole city was destroyed, including the temple, including the Jewish leadership and rulership, authority. And if you know, if you remember uh, about Israel, the temple, the Jewish leadership, this was their center of government. This is like someone going in and destroying Washington, D.C., the entire city, the White House, the Capitol, and killing the president, vice president, all of the Congress, everything. Done. Dead. Gone. This is the equivalent. They don't have to destroy the country. They just destroy its capital. Plus New York. Think about you know Washington, D.C. and New York. Their financial district and center of economy and Washington, D.C. Everything about American culture erased, in a sense. Decentralized. So now all these Jewish towns are on their own. There's no authority. There's no leadership, right? They fled to Masada, this, you know, down by the Dead Sea, and they got surrounded by the Romans, and they all kill, killed themselves, the remaining ones that were left from Jerusalem. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the end of Israel as a nation and a socio-religious system. Jesus came to destroy Israel as God's expression on earth and to plant a new one called the church. This is, this is 40 years after Jesus' ascension. AD 70, which is 40 years, so 30, about 30 years, because they believe that Jesus was born three to four years before, um, eight, you know, zero, historically. And so this is 70 years after that. I'm sorry, 40 years after that. Now, if you, if you know anything about um, Old Testament prophecies, you'll see the word, the, the, the number 40 repeated over and over and over and over and over again. 40 days, 40 years. I mean, 40 was, was this, this uh, period of, of time of eras and of seasons. You got like numbers like 3 and 7 and 12 and, and 40 and 49, 50. All these different numbers of completion. And so 40, every 40 years, there is a significant moment in the life of God's people. And this is one of them. At the beginning of this, Jesus came and he ended his ministry by saying, this is your chance. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the Messiah that you've been waiting for. I am bringing the kingdom of God. And if you don't shift things, if you don't change your way, if you don't change your direction, Pharisees, Sadducees, high priests, stuff is going to hit the fan and it's not going to go well for you. And guess what happened? Forty years later, they did not repent. Many of them did that day of Pentecost, but most of them did not. They continued their high priestly ship without acknowledging Jesus as Christ. Imagine this. I always wonder this. Like, what would have happened if the high priest himself became a Christian? And they changed everything about Israel. And they're like, Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to change everything. We're going to be the nation on a hill. We're going to be the city attracting people to Jesus Christ. To Yahweh God. And our Bible is going to con continue to be written with the, the prophecies of Jesus and the words of Jesus from these apostles and disciples. Guess what? We're going to make these apostles part of the high priests who are going to teach us about the Messiah since they got to walk with him. They're going to be our new high priests. Peter's going to be our new high priest. Actually, no, because Jesus is our high priest. <laughs> but they didn't because that wasn't God's purpose. His purpose was 
to explode the kingdom of God to the far reaches of the world. No longer relegated to a temple. That's why the, the, the curtain, the, the veil, God tore it in two. Basically saying, this is done. I'm going to put this to bed. This way of thinking that you have to be a Jew in order to come to me. Because guess what? I'm coming to you. The veil was torn not to let people into the Holy of Holies because that building was only going to last for another 40 years. It was to show that the unleashing of the Spirit of God, the unleashing of the Shekinah glory of the Lord Jesus Christ into all the world, into all the far reaches of this world. The stream of living waters coming out of the temple of God, flooding the earth, bringing life to where there was death. This is the imagery that we're seeing in the gospel. This is why Jerusalem was destroyed. There's, this is, he's quoting this, this, this phrase here. This is what brought division. This is a phrase from Micah 6. I'm sorry, Micah 7, uh, verse 6. Surely a man considers his father a fool. A daughter oppresses, opposes her mother, and a daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. That's what, that's what Jesus is quoting here. But I love this conclusion, this next verse to this passage. But, but I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the Lord, my salvation. My God will hear me. Jesus is appealing for them to wake up. Wake up. Look, see, wake up, hear, listen, observe, walk with me, wake up. And look to the Lord. Wait upon God, your salvation. His call for them to see and believe that only He matters, that faithfulness to God is more important than loyalty to status quo or even family relationships. Specifically, religious status quo. A.K.A. the way that things have always been done. We'll get to that in a minute. The second part of of this scripture passage is hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites. Talking about this uh, seeing this, the signs of the times. He said, when you see a cloud rising from the west, right away you say, oh, a storm's coming. And so it does. Because they didn't have AccuWeather. (laughs) Or the weatherchannel.com. They had to look and see. They didn't have to pull out and scroll. <laughs> you know. Snow. Yes. <laughs> they had to look and see things coming. They looked for signs and symbols coming to them. But Jesus is basically telling them, you hypocrites, I'm right here. The cloud coming from the south, it's here. But some saying, nope, 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 uh, nope, uh, uh-uh, nope, uh-uh. Hold back, nope, nope, nope. They were unable, actually more, more likely, they were unwilling. They were seeing but unwilling to see, to perceive. This comes on, on, a, on a physical and a spiritual level. I mean, think about what they were seeing. What were they seeing during their time? They are seeing the Roman occupation, that had been going on for, for, de- for a generation. Um, they saw the oppressive regime of Herod. 
And they saw, I mean, look, they saw the wealthy and arrogant high priests in Jerusalem that were so in the pocket of the Roman emperor that it was basically like having puppets, religious puppets that were Roman because money motivates. If you can't see that in our, in our country, we're blind. False and coercive agendas of the, of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They had their agendas to have power and control. Power and control. Power, let me, I want to pause here because I was just struck by this. Power and control is the great wielding of the enemy. He doesn't care to have money and wealth and all these things. Satan, Lucifer himself, wants power and control. In fact, the deepest seated evil in our society is focused on power and control. So any desire for power and control, know that that is directly from Lucifer himself. And this is what drove the Pharisees. This is what inspired the Sadducees, the wealthy in, in Jerusalem. They can't see the culmination of all their hopes and all their dreams. The power and goodness of God right in front of them because they were obsessed with power and control. So that every time that Jesus healed, spoke wonderful, powerful words of goodness, of, of the goodness of God, what, did they, what is it the Bible says that they, that they became? They became jealous coveting. They saw Jesus as, as playing for power and taking some of their power and they were going to fight back. Because the true, the true word of God, the true nature of, of God, the goodness of God is powerful in itself, in itself. Because it brings us to the one who has all the power and deserves all the glory. They're also blind because of their cultural expression and politics that they were taught, that they were brought up in. Because think about it, you know, these guys were you know, 30, 40, 50, or 60, or you know, in this age range or so as Pharisees, and they were raised in the same power structure that Jesus was raised in, that was taught to them by the generation before, who was taught by their grandfather. Think about this. Their grandfathers were you know, existed in a in an empire pre-Roman, filling their heads with freedom and, and, you know, and just this flourishing of Israel on its own and by itself. No, ma- no wonder they were so passionate about getting the Romans out. They wanted to go back to grandpa's era. They were, they were taught these things, surrounded by these things. They were unwilling to see God outside of their socio-political worldview. What was the greatest sin? We've talked about this a few times. What was the greatest sin of Israel? The greatest sin of Israel was this. They first didn't walk in God's, continue to walk in God's ways. They learned the way to live from the cultures around them. And number two, 
they didn't teach the faith of God to their children. I would say the most, the number one sin of Israel was that they did not teach God to their kids. And the entire nation went off to whatever seemed right to them. They did whatever was right in their own eyes because Israel failed to teach their kids about God. This is why God even says, he's like, he says, start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. There's this word called semiotics. I like teaching new words. <laughs> right. Semiotics. This is the study of signs and symbols. Uh, a great modern day uh, example of, of someone who is a, a scholar of semiotics is a guy named Leonard Sweet. Um, I've, I've quoted him several times, and he's a, a great uh, semiotic theologian. Uh, so know that about him. So Leonard Sweet is a great semiotic, great in semiotics. But so our prophetic role as the church, the ecclesia of heaven, is to know and understand the events of the earth and to seek to address them with the message of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, our king, Jesus Christ. That is our role as the church, is to be scholars of semiotics, to understand the signs and symbols or the signs and the seasons of the world around us. We have that virus that shall not be named. We've got division in politics. We've got, um, gosh, earthquakes and fires and droughts and famine, disease, variants, et cetera, et cetera, financial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, I think, I feel like, like, like Jesus is speaking to us today the same way he was speaking to them. Do you not see that the time is upon you? The time is upon us to stop get, taking our cues of belief and opinions from the world and to devote everything that we are and everything that we think, our entire way of being, to being all about the kingdom of God and our King, Jesus Christ. Figuring out where to engage and figuring out where to divide, but understanding the difference between dividing from the world and dividing from each other in the church. This is a time for unity. To settle and agree upon and be passionate about first things and not get distracted by secondary things opinions and things about politics and other, other stuff. But to come together in unity in the body of Christ. And lastly, paid the last penny. Paid the last penny. This is an illustration of Jesus saying, this is not, this, this last passage of settling before the judge, this isn't talking about, you know, our daily, like if someone's going to sue you, like try to figure out how to settle in court before you get to the judge. Now he's talking about, he's talking about Israel. He's talking to the crowds here, remember. He's talking to the crowds and saying, settle up with your adversary before you get to the judge. When judgment happens, when the fire comes, when the thing, when that storm from the south reaches you, it's over. So make sure that you figure out your, your direction. Figure out who is king. 
figure out where you stand when that judgment comes, when that fire comes. As they like, as, 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 you know, the media likes to say, being on the right side of history. Make sure that you're on the right side of history, is what Jesus is saying. And whose side of history? God's. Make sure that you are on God's side of history. So like we said, AD 70, Jerusalem church, uh, you know, Jerusalem was destroyed, but here's one of the, the most striking things. The Jews cursed the Christians because they left. Because Jesus was saying, hey, when you see these things happening, see these things happening and see that happening, get out of Dodge. Run for the hills. And guess what they did? They left Jerusalem. They abandoned the holy city because they knew that the judgment was coming. They knew and they abandoned ship to go and take the gospel where it belonged, the rest of the world. Into the Gentile world. And then what happened? Jerusalem, the temple, the leaders, everyone was destroyed, exiled. The religious and cultural systems torn down and dethroned. This is where that, this prophecy, this is the prophecy that was given over Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to call to cause the rise and fall of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This was a prophecy that was spoken over Jesus. We always read that going like, huh? I guess he was going to, you know, tick off the Pharisees and stuff and rise and fall, but I don't understand. A sign to be opposed? Like they crucified him? Yeah. But this goes even greater, not even greater than the crucifixion, but goes even beyond just the crucifixion of Jesus. It would lead to the eventual destruction of the Pharisaic way of life, the, the Jewish way of life in Jerusalem. The rise and fall of many in Israel. Because there's, there's opposite sides. There's division. And this is the line. Jesus' identity. Where do you fall on the line of Jesus' identity? Is he Messiah? Is he God? Or is he not? Is Jesus the Messiah or is he not? Did he really truly live and die on the cross and raise from the dead? Or did he not? Because Jesus' ministry then and now brings division. He even said, mother, father, son, mother, daughter, daughter, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. People lose friendships, relationships with family, jobs, and many other things because they have come to believe in and live the way of the kingdom of Jesus. I just met someone recently that this happened to them. They've, They've been a Christian for about 10 months now. And they had friends and family. They just would mock the church. They hated the church. They hated Christians. They hated everything about us. And there's no earthly, you know, I, say, I say that word very specifically, earthly reason why she's a Christian today. It wasn't, she didn't have this like crazy you know, thing happen in her life where she was just depressed or just anxious or suffering. There's no like come to Jesus moment where she was at rock bottom, a drunk or whatever. She just was living her life, living, living my best life. And God got a hold of her. All of her friends abandoned her. 
Every single one of her friends said, I want nothing more to do with you. But she's like, I don't care because I dig God. He's awesome. I love me some God. I love me Jesus. It is one of the most powerful and beautiful expressions of faith that I've seen. It is amazing and beautiful to watch someone be, be willing to lose all these things because of her love for Jesus Christ, because of her devotion to Jesus Christ, that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, all this stuff, I don't care. None of it matters. This world doesn't matter. This world is stupid. The world's systems are stupid. But God, you are awesome. Belief is not specifically what disrupts things, but it's when our beliefs actually affect the way that we live that's when conflict and controversy happen. Because what's the number one thing when Christians actually step out and do things that offend the world? They're like, oh, you just, just go off and, and believe. You can just believe that in your closet, in your churches. But just, you don't have to do that. You're just going to make people mad on purpose. Like, duh. It's kind of a point. to get the word of the gospel out there because without us disrupting things, people's lives will not be changed for the better. We live, with, we live in Belgrade. What's, like, not even an inch off under the, under the dirt? What's in, interspersed in all the dirt everywhere around here? Rocks. I was trying to dig it. You just kind of, a, that, yeah, that deep. That deep. Trying to, you know, get the, for the strips for my, for my fire pit out there. Was for, was for some bricks. I, it was like over a bucket full of Rocks. But what did I have to do? I had to disturb the dirt to get the rocks out. We have to disturb the soil of our culture to dig out, you know, dig people out of the ground, to dig people out of their death. We have to disrupt the dirt around them so that they can be free to get out. We have to act. We have to speak. We have to let our faith and our beliefs affect the way that we live so that people can be saved, so that people can see and experience the love of Jesus Christ. This is the point. Last, last week you talked about you know, living a life that matters, truly matters. What is it that truly, you take everything away. You refine the gold down, you know, the, the gold ore down to just the pure gold. What is it in life that truly matters? And this week the, the main point is to receive an eternity that will endure. For you and for others. This goes all the way back to the beginning of our section. What is the main point of Jesus in all of this? All the way back to the very beginning of this section, Jesus says this Don't be afraid. Little flock. That's what he says. Don't be afraid, little flock. You're few. Why? Why don't we be afraid? Why, are, why is Jesus saying to not be afraid? What is it that gives us the hope? What is it that gives us the purpose? What is it that gives us that, that gumption and that boldness to live a life that truly matters? Why? Because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. To give Him Himself. To give you Himself. 
to give of himself to you. Provide everything that you need. And this is one of the most beautiful encouragements in all of Scripture. This is uh, 1 Peter 1. Starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in many various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which through, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though, you, though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to even catch a glimpse of these things. Here's your homework. Read the rest of 1 Peter. Read the rest of 1 Peter. I was going to read the whole chapter, that whole chapter, but read the whole, read 1 Peter. Read the whole thing. And Romans. <laughs> but I want to read, just read this, this short passage here uh, from Romans 8. I almost wonder if, you know, Paul was sitting down with Romans 8 and he was just like, it took him like a month just to, read, to write Romans 8 because this is so packed full of good stuff. He says, what then are we to say about these things? If God, this is starting verse 31, if God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who could bring an accusation against God's elect? That's you, by the way. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Skipping ahead. No. No. Can anything separate you from the love of God? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life, death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate you, shift church, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Can anything separate you from God? No. no. If Facebook puts you in Facebook jail, will that separate you from the love of God? No. no. If your friends and family say, I want nothing more to do with you, will that separate you from the love of God? No. Difficulties, trials, temptations, arguments, even yourself. Can you separate yourself from the love of God? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Can the world divide you from the world? Or can separate you from God? No. no. If they kill you, go to heaven. If you die of COVID tomorrow, well, can COVID separate you from the love of God? No. Heck to the no. COVID is not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. Lucifer is our enemy. He wants you to live afraid. He wants you to live defeated. He wants you to live conquered. He wants you to live in fear of judgment and condemnation and death and suffering. Peter even said, if you, if you face these trials, consider it joy. Consider it joy. Because we have to divide ourselves from this world, from the worldly structures, from the worldly way of thinking, from the worldly perspectives, from worldly ways and garbage, the stupid world that we live in, in order to conquer the enemy of this world, of God's creation. Because who created this world and all things in it? God, our King. Not their little puppets, Lucifer and his, and his demons. God is our king. God is the creator. You cannot love this world and the things of this world and expect to conquer the enemy of this world. Again, I want to remind us, just for kicks and giggles, Democrats are not the enemy. Republicans are not the enemy. Libertarians are not the enemy. Biden is not the enemy. Trump is not the enemy. Pelosi is not the enemy. DeSantis and Gianforte are not the enemies. Lucifer is the enemy. And we pray freedom over any and all that he has captured. And pray freedom and life and blessing and joy we cannot both bless and curse God's creation. We have to bless. We have to bless. We have to love. As Christians, this world has never been truly accepting of us, and it never will. The only way forward in this life is complete and utter trust in God. Lord, we pray your wisdom in our lives. That we would see your hope, that we would see your joy, that we would see your truth and your way, your way, the truth, and the life, as you are the, our way, truth, and life. And we can have access to the Father because of you. And that we not, need not fear judgment. We need not, need not fear condemnation. We need not fear 
anything, God. Because you, perfect love, have cast out all fear. Remind us, God, of your presence with us, that you are our hope, that you are our purpose, that you are our joy that drives us, that leads us in this world, not into temptation, away from evil, delivering us from the evil one, delivering us from this world so that we can infiltrate this world with the kingdom of God. Lord, use us, your little flock, in powerful ways, Lord, to bring the church together and to bring people to faith in you, Jesus, because you are the only one that is good. You are the only God that is true and God that is real. And you love. You pour out your love. You poured out your, your love for us on the cross. And you poured out your spirit upon us with your resurrection ascension and sending us your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. We worship you. Reveal to us, God, your goodness every single day. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.